Totally Football Show. Today, monumental as anything, we report on the River Boca shocker, featuring football's most reprehensible scenes, if you didn't see Louise defending on Saturday. Elsewhere, Potch beats Sarri, Liverpool go to Parry, and into the jungle with Harry. It's all in this Totally Football Show, in association with Paddy Power. Hola! In the pod we have this week, Ian Irving, Northwest correspondent for Premier League TV. Hello, James. Although that doesn't define you, Ian, does it? Not entirely. Okay. Mostly. All right. Matt Davis Adams, can we say you're a commentator for Chelsea TV? You're like a pan global voice of football, really, aren't you? Thanks. That's nice of you to say. Commentator, perhaps. All right, then. And Daniel Story. Good morning. A man who'll never get tired of seeing his head on television. <laughs> yes. When will that next be uh, happening? That phenomenon. <laughs> Probably a long time. You reckon? Okay. Excellent. Well, we can enjoy your voice in the meantime. Also, joining us today, live from Buenos Aires, this man. Hi, I'm Rory Smith, and I will be telling you all about the match that didn't happen twice. Thank you, Rory. Looking forward to that. Shall we begin, Ian, with mm. Spurs, Chelsea? Matt, you were all over this for mm. Chelsea TV, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, but that was fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, it was kind of tough after the uh, the first twenty minutes or so. I mean, obviously we should praise Spurs before anything else because they were exceptionally good in this game, and 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 Pochettino found a way to nullify Chelsea with his diamond midfield, Son, Kane, Ali, all fantastic. But Chelsea were were really terrible in this match. It's worth pointing out they were eighteen games unbeaten at the start of the season, so I think there's um, a tendency to kind of you know overreact perhaps slightly. But this has been coming, hasn't it? I mean, Duncan Alexander was pointing out the stats whereby Chelsea have been conceding huge numbers of chances. And it's kind of been a bit of a miracle that they've gone this far without anybody actually catching them out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Man United, Crystal Palace maybe, Everton the other week, all could have beaten Chelsea. Um, they they have seven players who've started every Premier League game. Hmm. Uh, the goalkeeper in the back four are five of those, and they all had their worst game of the season. And in a game like against Spurs away, you can maybe get away with one, possibly even two, but not all of them, unfortunately. The defending in particular was was just abysmal. But the concern, I think, really was the lack of change of tactics from Sarri when it was obvious that that was needed. He, what he went for eventually was putting Hazard as the main striker in the front three, which is not something that he's ever excelled at. And it seemed to me that maybe a better solution would have been to go 4-2-3-1, put Kante and Jorginho as the two holding midfielders, Barkley as the 10 behind Giroud, but is Sarri flexible enough to do that? We know how wedded he is to this 4-3-3. Cost him on Saturday, he said he didn't like anybody in terms of performance, so we'll see if he makes a change for Fulham next week. Spurs, for the first time this season, with the kind of classic lineup of Kane, Deli Alli, Son and Eriksson, which I think a lot of Spurs fans felt was one of the reasons behind this, this, this excellent result, which, you know, we'd, we'd mentioned how... If this week went well for them, it would completely redefine where people think they are, how their season's going to go and that. A brilliant start for them. Yeah, it was. It was exceptional. Uh, Deli Ali was probably my man of the match. We, we don't associate him necessarily with, with that kind of tactical discipline, but Everton showed that sitting on Jorginho and cutting off that supply can, can harm Chelsea badly. And Ali did that perfectly while also adding, you know, kind of the extra string to his bow of, of actually attacking as well and surprising Chelsea. I think, you know, I always, I tend to say in this show all the time about taking a step back and realising how far Tottenham have come under Pochettino, but 
it's games like this that really do hammer it home because you know I know we will go on to talk about Manchester United but the contrast between those two of managers who consider that they have had difficult summers because of what their clubs have done and how those two managers have reacted differently and in, in, in an opposite manner to those difficulties are probably the story of this Premier League season so far because Pochettino is you know, while Mourinho upsells his problems and, and sort of this woe is me and lashes out, Pochettino is clearly not happy. He said he's not happy. And yet a big game comes along and Tottenham aren't passive. They aren't, you know, they aren't sulky. They aren't grumpy. They aren't reserved. They are everything that you need in a big game. And it showed. There's been a lot of noise around Tottenham this season, hasn't there? In terms of what Daniel was talking about there, the way the summer went, obviously all the stadium stuff in the background as well. But their form has been good in terms of the points that they've, they've 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 gained during the season, but in terms of the way that they've played, there's been a lot of question marks over them, particularly going forward, and particularly on Harry Kane as well. Is he tired? Has he played too much football? Does he need a rest? You know that that seems to be the the same sort of question asked in different ways every single week. I don't think it's any coincidence whatsoever that having Son, Ali, and Eriksen behind Kane made Kane look absolutely at his best once again. He scored. He could have. Had another, um, he could have had another, and you look at just the way he bullied the centre backs for Chelsea. I don't think it's any coincidence whatsoever that those three behind him helped do that. I don't think it's any coincidence whatsoever that the way Kane played has led to Louise and Rudiger being questioned so much. All right, everyone delighted to see um, some back in the lineup. Sissoko has been another a surprise, no, a, a return to form from mm. him. What's behind that? It was a really interesting tweet by um, Chris Miller, who's a Tottenham brilliant Tottenham blogger, and he kind of said it's. It's almost similar to the Gareth Bale situation at Tottenham, which sounds bizarre, but you basically got a player who was bought for one reason in one position, um, who was pretty awful in that position to the extent that fans would probably not have been that unhappy if he'd have left. They then moved him into a different position and he suddenly started playing like a world beater. He's basically playing as a central midfield destroyer, sort of, you know, almost a Kante role, really. There was a moment in the second half where he sprinted back to make a challenge and Wembley kind of rose as one to congratulate him. So, yeah, his reinvention is just another tick in, in Pochettino's book because there are other managers in the Premier League who would castigate Sissoko and would have, you know, given up on him by now. But Pochettino, partly through necessity, kind of just finds a way at the moment. Mm. He always what? plays well against Chelsea, Sissoko. He scored twice on his home debut for Newcastle against them a few years back and it's just one of those weird cases of, you know, players who have opposition that they like yeah, playing like against. Dele Alli, yeah, yeah, quite. Well, six yeah. and six for Deli Alley against Chelsea. Uh, worth mentioning, of course, that um, at 1-0, Hazard should have had a clear penalty. Right. So Probably wouldn't a... have changed things, but... Well, you never know, but mm. it is a little bit of a kind of winking red light on, on Pochettino's dashboard that one foot has this propensity to kind of clatter in on people. Mm. Yeah, I thought Martin Atkinson actually didn't have a very good game and nor did his assistants. There were lots of sort of 50-50s and things and throw-ins that were given the wrong way and the players were getting a bit ratty. I know there's been mm. some talk about this maybe being the poorest crop of Premier League referees we've had in a while. and, and that, Yeah, and that, I think that's been swept under the carpet by the result. But listen, Spurs deserve to win the game, no doubt about that. So it didn't matter so much. But yeah, if you're Pochettino, it was a real show of faith in him, in Foyth by him, uh, to put him in when he had Vertonghen on the bench rather than put Vertonghen straight back yeah. in. Okay. But yeah, you need to be ironing out, giving away two penalties and should have been giving away another one. All right, two questions from listeners. One regards Spurs and their... Inclusion or not in the title conversation, if Chelsea were being touted as contenders, Spurs have now moved past Chelsea in the standings, can they be considered as in contention for the Premier League title? And the other one is, what on earth is going on with N'Golo Kante? 
It was like a delayed, I told you so, really, for Chelsea. Because at the start of this season, I think after the Community Shield when um, Manchester City beat them and it was a, it was sort of a second-string City side as well, there was all this sort of um, question mark over over Kante being further forward, over Jorginho being the deep-line midfielder, over playing Rudiger and Louise in a back four. And sort of 12 matches unbeaten in the Premier League was a was quite an answer to it, despite the stats that we talked about before. And then this happens, um, and I think I think you were right in what you were saying before, Matt. It was it was the fact that he didn't change it in game for me because fair enough, you've got this style, you've got an identity that you want to work to, and it's worked well. You're, you're twelve matches unbeaten, you're in the title race, you're in second place, uh, third place, sorry, going into the game. But then in the match when Jorginho is so ineffective and so overran, then why not change it there and then? Really, that that, that was the glaring thing for me from the match. Fair enough that that's the way you want to play, but surely you need to be reactionary as well. All right. Spurs in the title race, Ian? Yeah, yeah I, I think so, yeah, yeah. Because, well, the five points off City, I mean, that that's the space of two matches. Personally, I think City will win it. Uh, I don't see Tottenham catching those five points at any any point during this season. But if you're so five no, points then. after... Well, it depends the way you look at it. Well, if I don't you're think... five points behind after a third of the season, that means you're probably going to be 15 behind at the end of the season. Potentially. I think everyone will be behind City by the end of the year. If you're asking me, will there be a title race? I don't think there will be. I think Fair City enough. will win it. Fair enough. Uh, David Luiz. Hmm. Um, what's going on there, Daniel? I think he's actually been pretty good this season, but he has these lapses in concentration, and it and it often happens. It, it's, it's what happens with a twenty-one-year-old defender. In that, yeah, but what what happened this time wasn't a lapse of concentration. It was. I mean, he was fully aware. It wasn't that he was caught unawares by, for example, was it the first goal when he second, just goal, second Kane's second goal, goal he moved out the way. The third yeah. one, he sort of did something similar. Yeah. But it, yeah. but if you watch David Luiz, if he makes a mistake early in a game, if his first touch is off in the first five minutes of a game, or if he loses an aerial duel, or if someone goes past him. It seems to affect him in the way it might do with Juan Foyth, perhaps. So, you know, a 21-year-old defender, not someone who's, you know, a senior pro now. And the problem Sarri's got is that they have got a young goalkeeper in a new, a new club, in a new league, who needs he needs stability in front of him because otherwise it exposes him as well as exposing central defence. And in, when Luis plays like this... There is no stability behind him, and and it makes you know for the second goal is a perfect example. It makes Kepa look bad because mm. Louise moves out the way of the shot and wrong foots his goalkeeper. Yeah. The third one was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, you get like turns occasionally, and people say, "Oh, you know, sold after." Half the stadium, a half-time pie. He, he literally heard that, like Greg's on <laughs> on Wembley High Street. The sausage rolls had just come out. He sold himself. He was out of that stadium like you wouldn't believe. I've never seen. It was just so basic and so naive. It was sort of like Sunday morning stuff. And mm. it's a real big cliche that, but it was actually that bad, wasn't it? I think yeah. it comes from a, a place of trying to atone for, for mistakes. So having probably got the first one wrong with the cane shot, I think Louise is desperate to please. And I think he probably it probably comes from a good place. Mm. But the best central defenders are able to put mistakes out of their mind and then play from scratch at every situation. Louise did not do that on Saturday. Spurs go into the top three with their fifth straight victory. Renewed optimism surrounding Pochettino's side as they prepare to take on Inter. It's a must-win game. Only victory will see Spurs into the top two, whereas a draw will suffice for the Italians who haven't reached the knockout stage of the Champions League since 2011-12. I've got a really good stat on ending Hazard, which if you haven't got time for it, it's fine. You're here now. Let's go, in. OK, so aside from the problems in midfield, up front, Alvaro Morata, I know people have spoken about it at length, about it not working. 
Eden Hazard has not scored in the Premier League this season with Alvaro Morata on the pitch. So forget your comparisons between Morata and Giroud. If your best player isn't functioning with playing with one of those two, for me, you have to play Giroud. A big performance against Pauk in the Europa League. I think he'll start against Fulham. Will you have a chance to chat to Maurizio this week, Matt? Down at Cobham? No, you've probably got more chance of that than me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I, he, he would definitely start with, with Giroud against Pauk and Hazard won't play in that game. I'm pretty sure of that. But, but also, going back to the defence, Christensen and Cahill will start in that game. If right. Christensen plays well enough, he might oust Luis for Fulham on Sunday. OK, well, anyway, we're going to talk about Inter. This, this this must win affair. Uh, Inter, who are kind of regarded as the Italian Spurs, or even more Spursy than Spurs, the the Flake Meisters, if you if you will, uh, who they bounced back from their previously game, which saw them beaten four one. There's a classic example uh, thereof um, by Atalanta with a three nil win. They look very good in front of a packed San Siro against, uh, admittedly, Frosinone, not the biggest of sides. But anyway, they do come in on the back of a big win. They've got a terrifically strong defence. What are they going to offer? Well, let's just get a quick word with James Horncastle, who spends far too much of his time observing the Nerazzurri, and see what he makes of their chances. So, James Horncastle, a must-win game for Spurs. But will they? (laughs) Well, I think the game that they played at San Siro was um, quintessential Inter, insofar as they looked down and out that they were going to get nothing from that game and somehow managed to to win it. And I think Spurs were scratching their heads thinking, how on earth have we come away from here with nothing? Um, Inter uh, looked back on that game as being the turning point of their season. Um, since then, they've won seven out of eight. Um, yes, before the international break, they'd had that um, quite unexpected defeat to Atalanta in Bergamo. But... Um, they're looking good and at the weekend you can say it was a, a kind of gimme against Frosinone but they were able to rest three of their main players Icardi came on in the final 15 minutes but um, Perisic and Vecino were um, were allowed to put their feet up with this right. game in mind Perisic will be looking forward to his uh, trip to Wembley after what happened last time the fact that a draw is enough for Inter. Given mm. the defensive solidity of this team with De Vrij and Skriniar and, and then Handanovic behind them, will they be basically sitting back and looking to soak up pressure in classic Nerazzurri fashion? <laughs> well, look, um, this is a team that only needs uh, half a chance to score two goals. That's what happens when you have Icardi um, up front. You know, he's someone who can uh, apparently go missing uh, for, for you know, 93 of 94 minutes and yet uh, still find a way as he did against Barcelona, for example, yeah. um, to to do damage. So, um, so you know, I think this this interside has a, a lot of solidity to it, physicality, and you know, even without Icardi, they've had thirteen different goal scorers this season, um, and guys who uh, they signed in the summer who had yet to contribute have started contributing in Keita Baldiao, Lautaro Martinez, um, both of whom got on the score sheet at the weekend. Um, so, Inter have got a lot of ways to to find a way to draw this game um, and, and maybe get even more. Um, I think they'll be in a in a fitter, better condition than Spurs after you know what was a tricky Premier League game for them um, at the weekend against Chelsea, which they won, but I think much harder than what Inter had to do against Frosinone, for example. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Alrighty, Man City are at Lyon. Of course, they lost two way back on match day one. How long ago that seems, Matt. <laughs> and Liverpool, meanwhile, will be visiting Paris Saint-Germain. Quick word on City first. They boss West Ham 4-0, as they do. 
Yeah, City, next Saturday, they will click into three months since they last conceded a goal from open play in the what? Premier League. September the 1st, that was the last time they conceded an open play in the league. That's the only one they've conceded from open yeah. play, isn't it? Who scored that one? That was the younger Yedlin for Newcastle. Wow. That's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, they are only two points ahead of Liverpool and kind of easy to write off everyone else, but when... They are enjoying wins at such a stroll, at such a canter. It's impossible not to <laughs> think that the question is just going to be again, how many are they going to win by rather than if they're going to win? There's right. a development as well in the fact that they're taking the foot off the pedal in the second half, I think. Um, I think that just shows there's, um, there's more of an assuredness, more of, an, more of a confidence about them going about the business. They're getting matches won, tick, done, settle back, save yourself for the next one. And I think that is a development from last year. Right, It's extraordinary how many of their goals are identical as well and, and how nobody's come up with a way to stop that. Pass, pass, cross, someone scores from inside the six-yard box. Mm. Just uh, yeah, Virtually all of the goals on Saturday were like that and, and West Ham, like everybody else, just no solution to it. Leroy Zane really benefits without Benjamin Mendy as well. Um, I mean, Mendy's injury, undoubtedly a blow to City. Uh, when you consider the depth at left backs, probably the weakest, the weakest point of the depth in the squad. But Leroy Zani's best football was played last season after Mendy's injury. He was absolutely brilliant at West Ham without Mendy again. So why is that? Because Mendy overlaps with him in terms I think, of what they do? Yeah, and Pep's spoken about it. Just that they occupy the same sort of positions out wide on the left-hand side. Both of them like to pull really wide. Whereas when Raheem Sterling plays on the left, he tends to drift inside so Mendy can go outside. When Delph plays left back and Zane plays left wing, Delph tends to invert into midfield and leaves that space open for Leroy Zane outside. And uh, for him, um, it sounds harsh in a way, but it's it's sort of a benefit to him really that, that Mendy's not there. I see. All right, well, they're off to uh, Lyon to see if they can... Uh... Secure first place in the group with a victory there. Hey, let's dial up our pal Julien Laurent to hear about whether Olympique have any chance against the incredible City machine and also how PSG are looking. We heard about those injuries to Mbappe and Neymar. What's the word there? Jules, what are the odds of Leon doing Man City again like they did back on match day one? Very slim, Jimbo, I would say. Uh, although Lyon won at the weekend, they didn't play well. They haven't been really playing well and since since that game at, at the Etihad. It's, it's a weird one because they've got really, really good players, uh, as we saw in that reverse fixture. But yet, something is not really clicking under, under Bruno Genesio, the manager, who he's not really liked by the fans as well. So there's a bit of a negative vibe around the team. And I don't think that's the best way to prepare a game like that. And and in the form that City are in as well, mm. I don't have many hopes for Lyon to um, to to win that game. But I think a draw would already be a very good result for Lyon at home as well. Right. It's just that it's hard to see them stopping that City attack once again like they did uh, back in September. OK, what about Paris Saint-Germain then, who came so very close, according to you, to getting a point at Anfield on match day one? Uh, it's but not just according to me, you know, they were really close. They, they considered in the what the last kick of the game. But um, I think it's a more even match than okay. the than the Lyon City one. Obviously, Neymar and Mbappe's fitness is the main concern right now for PSG. A lot of positive signs, especially for Mbappe. A, a little bit less for Neymar, but I think they will they will both both be there. I'm not sure how fit Neymar will be, but I think he will he will start the game. Uh, and I think, you know, I think really this one is 50-50. At the Parc des Princes, the atmosphere is going to be. It's very, very special. And, and PSG know that 
a draw would be wouldn't be a disaster, but if they if they lose, they're out. But they need to win really to to keep their hopes and and their destiny in their own hands to then to then go through this group, which which is going to make a, a special game. Yeah, really tight. Liverpool on six points with Napoli, PSG a point behind, and then Red Star only a point behind them. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, listener GSS asks: Would it be worse for Liverpool if Mbappe and Neymar are out because PSG might actually play as a team without them? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. That's that's the debate that we've we've been having in France for the last few days. Um, you know, Di Maria and Draxler uh, are two very good players to to come in and replace Mbappe and, and Neymar, for example, amongst other choices that Thomas Tuchel will have uh, for that game. However, I, and I agree with this. I agree that they probably play more as a team without their two superstars. But they are two superstars, and two superstars can also win you the game when your team is not playing well, or even when you're not playing as a team, really. And and I think the the the, the game at, at Liverpool back mm. in September had given uh, Thomas Tuchel a lot of hope because PSG PSG really really played poorly, mm. and even by playing poorly, they they lost. But like we said, they were they were ten seconds away from from getting a point, which which have been a very good point. So I think they, they they've, they've been playing so much better since, and I think they're actually improving week in and week out. And and I think the the formation, for example, will be completely different than the one Liverpool faced back at Anfield. Now they play three four three football uh, formation, sorry, and and even the personnel in many ways will 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 be more confident and more used to playing that formation, and probably better equipped to face this Liverpool team than they were in the first in in the reverse fixture. So. I think it's a really even game, 50-50, I would say. Really? A draw, you think? I think PSG will will win, like, eventually. But I think, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw. But I I would go for a PSG win. Of course I would. Okay. All right, then. Jules, thank you so much. See you on the Goal Show on BT Sport on Tuesday and, yes, yes, Wednesday. So that result was their eighth nil-nil in a row and we've even had reports of fans falling asleep in their seats. Stuart is at the game, joins us now on the line. Stuart? Stuart? Sounds like Stuart needed paddy power because with our new Same Game Multi, you can combine multiple bets from the same game so everything is exciting. Plus you'll get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Same Game Multi lets you down. Paddy power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match fourfold plus Same Game Multi bets. First qualifying bet only, max free bet £10 per customer per day. Exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, be On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Julian Laurent, that Memphis to pie rap, by the way. Oh yeah, smoking. That's extremely C in rap, wasn't it? Yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it, for Liverpool at Paris Saint Germain? We've got used to them going around and scoring loads of goals, but in the Champions League, it's anything but. They've lost, they lost three games on the road now because they lost away at Roma at the end of last season, lost at Napoli, and of course, lost in Belgrade. Yes, yeah, it's a. It's a Tricky prospect for them, but I mean, they warmed up for it nicely enough, didn't they, with a comfortable win against Watford and Firmino, Mane, Salah, straight out of last season. So, yeah, 3-0, certainly reads comfortable. And yet, producer Ben went along to Vicarage Road um, and he says that Liverpool were far from comfortable, Matt. He says Lovren was uh, Lovren-esque, which I presume he doesn't mean in a good way. Alisson was sloppy. De La Feo had a goal disallowed after two minutes and Watford should have had a penalty when Robertson fouled Will Hughes. I'm guessing he was sat with Watford fans. Very much glass half empty perspective on the game from producer Ben. I would suggest I don't the penalty. <laughs> no, bit soft that what way, about yeah. Trent Alexander Arnold's free kick? Mm. Yeah, very yeah, in, nice. In, England have got a glut of 
right backs at the moment. I, Who was, can take free kicks? Yeah, I was looking. Well, I was looking back, and I think it was just over two years ago. England named a squad that only had one right back in Carl Walker. Mm. We've now got Walker, who's in good form. We've got Trippy, who's struggling at Spurs, but was probably England's best player in the World Cup. We've got Trent Alexander-Arnold. We've got Joe Gomez that can play there. Huh. We've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who turns 21 today and looks a heck of a prospect. So, Ashley Young. Yeah, I've left at Ashley Young. <laughs> but yeah, no, it look, all looks rosy. Right. So Joe Gomez, he, he may well feature, of course, in uh, Wednesday's game in uh, the French capital. I'm not sure how Paris Saint-Germain can hope to to counter his his new uh, long throw throw-in. Uh, it's weapon. not actually that long. Is it not? <laughs> you could probably classify it as a long throw, but it's more of a sort of mid to long okay. throw, I'd say. A bit high standards, you have. Well, I was watching Gunnarsson at the weekend. I was quite <laughs> impressed with his throw. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, anyway, yeah, what do you think? Are Liverpool going to... Are they going to finally get a win on the road in the Champions League? They can, but that away form that you've spoken about will be a massive worry for them. What One thing Liverpool have done, we were talking about City before developing this year, Liverpool seem to have developed an ability to win when not playing particularly well, but, which was a bit of, a, of an Achilles heel for Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool before this season. I don't think they played particularly well at Watford from what I saw. Um, it was the Producer Ben says they didn't. Well, exactly. It was yeah. the 67th minute when they actually took the lead. Uh, they didn't create a chance for 40 minutes, despite having a lot of the ball. And and that's become a theme, really, for Liverpool. Um, and But it ends up 3-0. So, t- to me, that's that's quite a big step forward for them. And, yes, it's been a concern that the front three, in particular, have not been at the heights of last year. But they're still winning football matches, the two points off the top. Yeah, they have more points at this stage of the season than in any previous Premier League campaign. They have the best defensive record in their history. Only five goals conceded after 13 matches played. And that's why they can win badly, isn't it? Hmm. Because of that defensive record. Absolutely. You should mention as well that uh, for all their record in Europe isn't the best. Paris Saint-Germain, how many wins have they had in their last seven Champions League fixtures? One. One win in seven. Hmm. Wow. And that was that home game against Red Star. You know, that all that talk. With an asterisk. With the asterisk. Anyway, now, uh, we're also involved in Champions League this week, of course, and Man United. We'll talk about them later on. Because after this, we're going to go South American with the extraordinary events in Buenos Aires surrounding the second leg of the Copa Libertadores. Then, biggest game in the history of Argentine football. Due to be held on Saturday, River Plate taking on Boca Juniors, the second leg of the Copa Libertadores final. 2 2, of course, after the first leg in the Bombonera. But the match cooled off after the Boca team bus was hit by uh, rocks thrown by fans and then tear gas, probably from the police, uh, on the way to the Monumental Rivers Stadium. Attempts to then well, attempts initially to force the team to play anyway came to nothing, thankfully, because River showed a little bit of solidarity with their opponents. And then they were going to try and have the game on Sunday. That didn't happen either, not surprisingly. Players wandering around with eye patches on after trips to the hospital. Uh, all sorts of injury uh, worries there. Nobody now knows when the biggest game ever in Argentine football history, etc., will be played or, or when or where or if. Etc. But anyway, among the intrepid folk who made the journey, who made the journey for this huge fixture all the way to Buenos Aires, was Rory Smith of the New York Times, who joins us now. Rory, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. This game, Rory, is. I mean, some people have described it as almost too big to actually be played in in Buenos Aires, and, and after 
the violence on Saturday and the frustration of the, the two postponed kickoffs uh, and, and all the recriminations that, that must be flying around now. What is the mood like in the city? Resigned, embarrassed. Uh, it's it's probably with, within within certain sections of the fan bases of both clubs. I'm sure there's a lot of anger. Uh, the way that the the Baris Bravas, who are the kind of the ultra groups in Argentina, function, I I, I can't speak for them. I I wouldn't necessarily seek out their company. Uh, but I think amongst normal fans, the the overriding sensation is kind of a weariness. Uh, with these pro- with these sorts of problems, suspicion I think is important. I think that w- we are going to see that old sort of football friendly form of fake news where where both sides present a different version of the truth uh, and what they wanted uh, in 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 the aftermath. Whenever what is decided is decided, wherever they play it, or whether they play it behind closed doors, or whether they play it in a different city, there's talk of maybe even holding it in the UAE so that they can essentially use it as a qualifier for the Club World Cup, which is the, the limit, that's kind of the the, um, the deadline. They've got to have someone to send to the Club World Cup. Um, so there's, there will be a lot of recrimination, I think. But the, for most people, speaking to people kind of on the street and also in Argentinian football, the, the, the big response is just embarrassment and shame that this was their chance. This was a game that they built. They built up the game. I think that's really important, and that's probably a factor in, in the tension eventually snapping. But they'd also, on a, on a national level and kind of a civic level, they'd built up the, the occasion, a, a really important one for Argentina, to prove that the country could could host an event of this scale. Obviously, the G20's here next week, or this week. Um, and that's, that's another chance. But they were talking about the Super Classico as, as, as a chance to show that they could play football in peace. Maurizio Macri, the president, said that they'd grown up, and they haven't. And that, I think, to Argentinians, the word they keep using is they're ashamed. And, and I think that is the overall response. The, the, the feeling that I get as well now is that they're not really that fussed about the game itself. The, I was walking into the stadium yesterday with a journalist, and I said, "Look," it, said to him, "It seems a lot, a lot quieter today." And the police, the police were much more organised on Sunday than they, were, than they had been on Saturday. They were kind of four or five rings of steel. I think you have to call them in journalistic parlance um, to get through. And he said, "Yeah, the police are doing a, a better job, but people aren't as interested. It, it doesn't feel like a game anymore. It felt as though the kind of it's almost a fitting that the football didn't happen because." What what the story that we've we've ended up covering actually is a much more important one than whoever wins a game of football, and that and that's this this culture in Argentinian football where, like you said, this game was too big. Winning matters too much in Argentina, and there comes a point, the natural conclusion of that, and it's something that I think is really important in Europe as well, as we see football talked about in these exaggerated hyperbolic terms constantly that I'm certainly guilty of, and I suspect others are too. There's partly a media phenomenon. There comes a point where it matters too much, and, and you can't actually play it, and that's really sad, but they, it feels like, to an extent, they get into that stage in Argentina that this game, the final to end all finals, they were trailing it on TV on Saturday as La, La Final del Mundo, the end of the world. And it was almost as though it's, yeah, it was, it's too big a game. A game so important, it can't happen. That's what, that's what we had. Yeah. And whatever happens with this second leg, whenever and, and, and wherever they play it, you, you have to wonder about what's going to happen next time these two face each other in any competition. There's just going to be so much tension so much built up uh, anger when we were getting the train 
back from the Monumental down in, back into downtown Buenos Aires yesterday, um, there were a group of, of River fans who who'd had a few drinks on on the train with us. This would have been about five o'clock, so a long time after the game had been called off. Um, and they were singing a, a song called Boracho, which is a, a river anthem, means drunk, and it's, it commemorates the time in 2015 when Boca fans threw tear gas at the River players inside the Bombonera, and a Libertadores semi-final was called off and awarded to River. Um, it feels a little bit like from the Boca side, that's what should happen this time. Um, but that that kind of showed to me that, that is, um, that's how football works, isn't it? That something happens, something incredibly serious, something that, that is a chance for change, a chance to say this is a watershed, no more, this isn't going to happen again. We have to kind of get on top of it. And nothing really changes, and then it kind of becomes something. It becomes part of folklore. It becomes something you sing about. It becomes another weapon in the, in the rivalry. And that's what will happen with, with what, what happened on Saturday. Whoever wins, whoever loses, it will be commemorated in song. They will be taunted with it. It will hurt. It will hurt more than more than it should because this game will never happen again. There will never be another Libertadores final over two legs held in the Bombonera and the Monumental between River and Boca. This is this is a one-time thing, uh, and and it will only serve to deepen the rivalry when really this should be kind of a chance. And I don't want to sound all holier than now, but it should be kind of a chance to say maybe we do need to tone it down a little bit. And that's why the one of the few bright spots was Marcelo Gallardo saying the River coach coming out and telling Boca Juniors on Saturday that if they didn't want to play, he didn't want to play, that he didn't want to win in those circumstances. And that, that's real sportsmanship. And I think Gallardo had come out of this really well. It's a shame that he's very, very unique in that. Rory, have a great trip home. And uh, yeah, look forward to hearing when, when you do make it out to the Emirates to cover this, uh, this game when it finally does take place out there. That'll be fun. <laughs> Thank you very much. Rory Smith of the New York Times. Wow. Well, it makes our week-long build-up to Derby Sunday a little bit tame, doesn't it? I guess it does. The friendly Derby on Merseyside. But the right kind of tame, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, in that regard. Absolutely. Everyone will be safe, hopefully. Something Rory didn't mention, which we spoke about um, after the semi-final, River could and probably should have been kicked out of the competition at that stage because their manager was supposed to be banned from the touchline and from the dressing room and he just went in the dressing room anyway and there was precedent um, for them to have been expelled from the competition anyway but classic comma bowl they didn't do that and and this was so obvious that something like this could and would happen I've been commentating on Argentine football for the past five seasons I'd say and I've seen uh, games abandoned because the referee's been hit by something thrown from the crowd because the opposition manager's been thrown by something from the crowd. They have to have inflatable I you were tunnels. The opposition manager's been thrown yeah. by the crowd. <laughs> yeah, I he's thrown at the ref. <laughs> yeah, that did happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have inflatable tunnels oh, yeah. that go out onto the pitch uh-huh. so that the players emerge in the middle of the pitch rather than having to come out from the stands mm. so people can't throw stuff at them mm. when the f- you're planning for that <laughs> does the penny not drop at that point darts, it literally literally does that yeah the situation. penny drops yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah um yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, so, you know... The only thing avoidable. comparable is probably Japanese football. Is that right, Matt? Oh, my goodness me. Yeah, I'm glad that we're getting some time to talk about this. <laughs> There's a big weekend in Japan because also uh, Fernando Torres, Which, Ian, yeah. he kept his side up from relegation with a dramatic... Uh, not quite. Oh. oh. No, there's still a game of the season to go. Oh. So they're above the relegation playoff place on goal difference. Segan Tosi, this is. He scored only his third goal in 16 games in J1. They came from behind to win, got a very, very dodgy penalty to make it 1-1. But the real fun uh-huh. was at Shimuzu S-Pulse versus Vissel Kobe. Okay. Kobe, the home of Iniesta and Podolski. Uh, finished 3-3. 
This after the uh, Shimuzu keeper, Yuji Rakutan, came up for a corner and headed in an equaliser in the 14th minute Go of on, stoppage man. time. Brilliant. Uh, the referee indicated four minutes of stoppage time. Big melee follows this. Podolski off the pitch into the well, technical wait, 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 area. Back up, back up. So he initially indicated four minutes, yeah. a minimum of yeah, four minutes. Minimum of four minutes. Minimum of four yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. We but, played for 18 but when was the melee after the goal? The melee was after the goal. So what was there anything that's, that the, the, was there any the kind of motive was, for him to add another ten minutes onto his? The game was played in very poor spirit, which is not usual for J one. Okay. So there was just foul after foul, and or it just descended every time into all the players piled on, right. and eventually spilled off the pitch. Podolski storms off the pitch, goes into the dugout, tries to pick out some of the uh, Shimuzu subs and staff. Everybody piles in, and then Wellington, the Brazilian Brazilian striker for Kobe picks up a yellow card uh, in the 15th minute of stoppage time and then right. a second one in the 18th minute of stoppage time. Did he boot someone? He, on his way off, he booted the goalie who scored the equaliser, who ran up to try and pacify him, just kicked him up in the air on his way off. Um, <laughs> I, 18th yeah. minute of stoppage time, latest red card in the history of football. Um, probably, yeah. Yeah. Can, Can I, I be... give Ian some credit for his Wellington boot joke? <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, yeah. Well, well done, Ian. Listeners, have you read The Economist recently? Well, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can get yourself a free copy of The Economist right now, free. Just text the word FOOTBALL to 78070. The Economist isn't just about economics. For over 170 years, it's been a one-stop weekly roundup of the news with a collection of thought-provoking columns on every significant region in the world. It gives you a level of detail and depth about politics and business, science, technology and the arts that you just won't find in the national newspapers. And there's even a bit of football in there too. For example, last week there was a feature on the impact of Brexit on British football. Unless the rules are changed, they pointed out, all foreign players will face the same hurdles after Brexit that non-Europeans must currently clear. Ouch. It's things like that that help economist readers prepare for what's going on in the world around them, a world in which facts count even more than ever. The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. Get your free print copy now. Just text FOOTBALL to 78070. That's FOOTBALL to 78070. We had, uh, now we actually had a a, a listener writing in saying, where's the Heston Blumenthal podcast? I can't find it. Well, uh, it's just been released. It builds the most, as the world's first multi-sensory podcast. It's called, you'll like this, Daniel, Heston's Pod and Chips Wow! If you download it now, and can ex- you can expect loads of things that are too dangerous to try at home, plenty of things that you absolutely must try at home, and the odd bit of mind-blowing silence. In episode one, Heston teaches you how to change the taste of wine using just the power of your mind. All right, well, that sounds good. He also reveals the secret behind making tea that is both hot and cold. Damn. We don't have any of this kind of stuff in ours. No. Heston's Pod and Chips, listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Extraordinary. We're more Charlton than Heston, aren't we? Mm, we certainly are. Now, back to the Premier League. Oh, there's been drama at the bottom. Daniel, you went to Wolves against Huddersfield, probably with not particularly high expectations. No, I did what pretty much every Wolves fan did on the giant screen before the game when asked what they thought the score were and went 4-0, 3-0, 3-0, 4-0. And I thought it would probably be something along those lines. And right. Wolves were absolutely dismal. And Huddersfield were brilliant. Um, I'm wary of sort of the overblowing one bad home result, but in the end of September, Wolves' managing director Laurie Dalrymple, he, in a in a speech, a business leader speech, said Wolves are in the Premier League to win it, not just to survive. And I think that was the moment where I just sort of thought, hang on a minute, 
You've only played six games of the Premier League season at that point. They've cl- there's clearly a tremendous vision within that club. But uh. at some point, you have to realise that your first Premier League season should always and probably will always from now on, given the financial disparities in the league, be a slog. And w- at the moment, Wolves are not slogging at all. They were brilliant at the start of the season. They hit the ground running, but they were dismal yesterday. And they they've were taken for... one point from their last five mm. matches. Yeah, and they've lost, to, they've lost to Brighton, Watford and Huddersfield in that run, mm. which is... Really poor. Okay, but what about Huddersfield then? Because they were the team that could not score a goal. Uh, they just had two wins in three matches. Uh, Aaron Moy with a brace here, and everybody raving about Philip Billing. Yeah, he was he was magnificent. Uh, yeah, they, there's a kind of a cliche to this that when when the when it gets cold and wet and horrible, that Huddersfield start fighting and are going to come out and start taking some points. But it was absolutely that they were just up for it from from minute one and. It's only their second away win of 2018, so I mean, let's not get carried away. But they've taken seven points in the last three games, and are you know in the space of two hours went from 20th to 14th. So wow, he's kind of doing it again, David Wagner, kind of making me and many others look patronising and foolish for assuming they're going to get relegated. How about that goal line? One of the best goal line technology moments <gasps> in Premier League history. 1.8 yeah. centimeters of the ball, yeah, now- apparently. Patrick was loving that as well. He's a, he's a lovely, lovely man, uh, the reporter from Sky, uh, Patrick Davison. And I think he must have mentioned 1.8 centimetres <laughs> about three or four times in his post match interview. Really? Yeah. They, it's, uh, at Wimbledon, there is, it's common knowledge that there is a margin of error on those things. And mm. the margin of error doesn't get mentioned in the Premier League, but 1.8 centimetres is not very much. I sort of. It's quite know. a lot. I mean, yeah, I've seen finer margins. There was, one, there was one given the other week that was something like seven millimetres. Right. And everyone's. It's only a matter of time. I don't want to start a conspiracy theory, but I, mm. I just wonder how, just what have. the margin for Yes, I have, so I'll leave that. <laughs> All right, then. Um, that wasn't the only big bit of drama down the bottom end of the table uh, because Fulham, although they're still bottom, are now level with Cardiff and Saints on eight points after Claudio Ranieri got his uh, cottage career off to a terrific start with this 3-2 win over Saints. Uh, this was fun, wasn't it? After seven straight defeats, getting a victory... Although they did still allow one of the worst attacks in the Premier League to score twice. So, um, you know, there's, yeah. there's a glass half empty scenario. It's going to be well. fun, though, isn't it? It mm. is going to be fun. You said there that the first game was fun. And I think that's probably going to be the word to describe watching Fulham this year. Um, they've been a bit fun already, haven't they, really? Despite not picking up many points because of the number of goals other teams have scored. But the one thing that Fulham have that a lot of the teams around the bottom don't have is goal scorers. And, and you can go through the bottom few teams, Cardiff, Southampton, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Newcastle, Huddersfield, they're all struggling for goals. Brighton, you can add in there as well. Fulham will get goals. That's an absolute certainty. And Ranieri's already tried to build up Mitrovic's part, which is very, very wise considering his, his goal-scoring record already this season, despite Fulham's problems, by describing him as one of the best strikers in Europe. So it's not a very... Uh, what's the word? It's not a very... Realistic? No, I was going <laughs> to say it's a very obvious tactic, I suppose. Right. Um but, you know, beyond that as well, Shirley gets goals. Vieto's an option, although he's maybe not shown his best so far in the Premier League. Sessegnon is much better further forward and Fulham will get goals. Conceding them's obviously been a massive issue for yeah. them and, that, and that's the big challenge for Ranieri. But they do have goals in that team and moving Callum Chambers into midfield seems to have, have helped them as well uh, just to create that, that base. Although, like you say, they did, did concede two to South. We'll see how they do next time out against Chelsea for... 
um, for Saints, they drop into the, the bottom three now. Two really good goals they scored, though. Yeah. Armstrong. I mean, and you think that was his third Premier League start of the season. Yeah. So why, you know, if he's if he's capable of doing I that? I enjoyed Mark Hughes saying after the game that he said he understood why the fans were booing because they're, they're as frustrated as him that Southampton are playing really well but just not getting it over the line. And I thought, that's not why they're booing, Mark. They're booing because you've turned them into Stoke City and you're going down if you stay there. Have you some... Wonderful optimism, fair play to him. But they had a lot of shots, though, haven't they? That's the one thing you can say to Southampton. Yeah. Created, yeah. created more chances than Manchester United yeah. this season, which is is that a barometer anymore? I don't no, know, really. probably not. So with with Everton also beating Cardiff, which I think you went to, is that right? Yeah. I did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that means there's only one point now between the bottom six. You've got Fulham still bottom, but now level with Cardiff and Saints on eight points, and three teams above on nine. Uh, Newcastle and Burnley who have a game in hand, and Palace. I actually think Cardiff are all right at the minute, really. Um, I was sort of a bit like you, Daniel, sort of talking about Huddersfield. I wasn't sure that Cardiff had enough in them to stay in the league. Um, Watching them at the weekend, again, the goals point is a major issue for them. But looking at what Warnock's got there in terms of the togetherness and the team spirit and how well organised they are, they made it very difficult for Everton. And there are so many teams in this battle. You wonder what togetherness and team spirit is going to do for teams this season because... Huddersfield are the same. That's the, their main strength. It's not superstar players. It's not individuals that's going to get them through. It's the collective. And when it really gets on. tough... I thought it was goal scorers like Fulham have got that's the key thing. Well, yeah. It, well, it is, isn't it? Scoring well, goals is... don't have those, do they? Exactly. And right. Warnock has said as well that they're going to look in January. That's one of the main things that they need because at the moment they, they've got a peaky blinder up front, haven't they? Who's, who's not really... Who's... Scotland's right back. That's probably the best way to describe it. <laughs> Were you on Warnock Useful. watch, Ian? Yeah. Did you see the um, him counting the, what was it, 40 seconds it took the Everton sub to get off, standing <laughs> looking at his imaginary watch next yeah. to the fourth official, just counting? Yeah, what a guy. Where, where we sit um, at Goodison Park is literally just behind the away dugout. So um, seeing the to and fro in the away the away dugout on uh, on Saturday was nearly as entertaining big. as the game. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, did you chat to uh, Neil afterwards? Uh, I didn't personally. I chatted right. chatted to him before. Right. But it was it was mainly about the jungle. Oh really? Is he intending to go into the jungle? Um, he he was sort of commenting that it was quite cold at Goodison Park. So, being the the witty guy that I obviously am, um, <laughs> I remarked, "Well, it could be worse. You could be in the jungle with Harry." And he said, "Oh, that'll be me next year." That lad. That would be hilarious, said she. Yeah, I've he, never watched I'm a Celebrity, but I might for Neil Warnock in there. So he turned around and said, he said, well, Harry's set the set the benchmark now. Right. They're going to have to have a, a former manager in there every every year now. Right. He might said be Jose next year, of course. Well, maybe, Keegan, yeah. please. I'd love to see Kevin Keegan in the... I think he's your perfect <laughs> candidate. You would absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He said his daughter would kill him if he went on it. So. Who, Kevin Keegan? No, 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 Neil Warnock. <laughs> oh, so. I see. Um, how's Harry getting on then? Really well. You mean yeah. you've not been watching it, I James? I haven't been watching yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I like Harry Redknapp anyway. I like just the type of character he is. And um, despite not knowing him, I've never met never met him. But he just sort of comes across as quite a likeable guy. And being in the jungle, in, in, in sort of personality terms, yes. being, in, being in the jungle, he's, um, he's just endeared himself even more. Some of his stories... Um, the way he just reacts to a group dynamic and things like that. I mean, I, I like the jungle anyway. I like Ant and Deck. Uh, Daniel's sighing because obviously he doesn't do mainstream things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think absolutely he's been great value, and right. I think he'll win it. I think he'll end up being think king he'll win of the it, jungle. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. One thing I should mention, Everton fans, 
is that, of course, uh, the club has gone into the top six in the Premier League. They've had four clean sheets now in, in the last seven in the league. Luca Dean getting rave reviews. Uh, yeah. You have a funny story about Luca and a sandwich. Uh, yeah, under coffee. Um, oh. We were waiting on um, Thursday for an interview with Bernard. Oh, yeah. And we were set up in the canteen at Finch Farm. Uh, that was the, the place that they chose. And uh, Luca Dean came in because he wanted to clear his £6.36 debt with the canteen that he owed for a sandwich and a coffee from the previous day. And the lady behind the till had already tilled up for the day, so he was unable to do that. He informed her that he'd be coming in the next day to do it. Okay. And I have an update. I was there on Friday for Marco Silva's press conference, and I can confirm that Luca Dean did not clear his debt because he forgot to bring any money with him. I see. That's dear, that, for a a coffee and a sandwich at a training ground. Mm. £6.36. If you ever get. Yeah, and kind of, I don't know, an extra shot in the coffee or something, maybe. I'm quite surprised the players have to pay for their own food. The whole thing surprised me, yeah. He even shook everyone's hand as he left, despite the fact that we weren't there to see him, which I thought was lovely. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Hey, friends, are you wondering what's going on in Scotland with all those surprises at the top of the table? Well, I'm afraid to say that it's a more familiar look these days. Rangers are back up in second after they beat Livingston 3-0. Celtic beat Hamilton 3-0. They're now two points clear in first. Poor old Hearts, who you recall have been setting the pace, have now lost four out of their last five. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Andrew Slave and JJ Bull and the TSFS team will be here Monday night, Tuesday morning with all the latest totally Scottish football news in the Championship. Two words for you, Matt. Alan Hutton. Bang. Mm, yeah, I mean, was it that good? I watched it this morning. <laughs> it was incongruous. It was all right. It was incongruous, yeah. But, I mean, it, it takes me back to the Ryan Giggs FA Cup semi-final goal. Just foul him. Just foul him. <laughs> but it was, a, I mean, a, a big goal in a big game. The, the, the dark yeah. of Birmingham, no? Yeah, big win for them. Big win um, for Nottingham Forest as well, again. Riding high in the championship table at the moment. 2-0 at Hull. How high are we really How high are Forest? Still seventh because everyone won above, but nobody right. won below. So. Nosebleed territory. All right. Norwich are still top. They won 4-1 at Swansea. That's their sixth consecutive victory. Middlesbrough beat Brentford 2-1. They're up to second. Speaking of number twos, Brentford fullback Moses Udubajo had to leave the field because you know he had things to do in the first half of the game. That's real pressure, you know. I would not want to be taking care of that business while the game was going on that I meant to be. Oh, did they have to sub him off? No, he, he came back. He yeah. came back on. Yeah, it's the Jason Punchin move, isn't it? He did mm. it for Southampton a few years ago. Did he? Yeah. How did he get a crossword done as well in that time? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, well, uh, Caroline Barker will have more on that story and probably other things as well in Tuesday's Totally Football League show. To round up last few things about the Premier League, uh, Brighton and Leicester had a 1-1 drawdown at the Amex. Arsenal moved to one point off the top four with a victory along the coast at Bournemouth. Uh, how significant is the fact that Urza was dropped for this one? I think it is significant because Unai Emery didn't really um, dismiss the issue and he easily could have done because if Arsenal hadn't won, it might have been more of a pointed question. But he could have just said, oh, this is what I wanted for this game and dismiss it. But no, he said, well, he, he wasn't ready for this type of game because basically insinuating that Bournemouth worked so hard um, huh. that Urza wouldn't be able to cope with it. Um, it should be said that when Arsenal play with Henrik Mkhitaryan at the moment, they're effectively playing with 10 players. So Ozil probably could have come in and done a better job than him. Um, 
But they're kind of the Arsenal season continues, still not ahead at half time in a game this season, which is mad given that they're fifth in the league. But unbeaten in how many matches now? Is it 14? Uh, 17. 17, sorry. Mm. Wow. Um, what an own goal from. Uh, I was going to say, we've got to give that some love, haven't we? 15 yard <laughs> volley, powered past his own goalie. Um, maybe David Brooks a little bit unlucky. His goal yeah. looked yeah. to be onside to me. Could have changed things. But yeah, the um, North London derby next weekend looks mouth-watering, doesn't it? Arsenal should be encouraged by Emery, though. I mean, dropping someone like Ozil, it's it's the type of move that other managers may may not have done, especially this early in their, in their managerial careers at a new club. He's already done it this season as well, of course, with Ozil. And I think it's horses for courses in his mind. He, he believed that there was other players in that squad who were more than capable of coming into the team and doing a better job against Bournemouth than him. And I'd be encouraged by that as, a, as an Arsenal fan. Excellent. Three defeats in a row for Bournemouth, which is really bad time for you, Daniel, because <laughs> you just went and spent loads of time with, with their manager, Eddie Howe. Mm, yes. Yeah, so manager, I say, but also father figure and dinner companion, the title of your long read on BBC Sport. Yes, uh, yes, indeed, yes. Go and read it there. Um, I think whatever, as long as Bournemouth don't go down this season, mm. he's doing a phenomenal job. Okay. And I think we need to be kind of careful of really? normalising that. Well, we live we live in a media climate that if you don't improve on every season, then mm. you're under pressure. But he, they were still 91st in the Football League when he took over. And they've still got League One players as the core of their team. Yeah. Okay. Extraordinary. Mm. Did you go down and like hang out? Yeah, or? but not... What did I you mean, do? Uh, we just just at the training ground. Oh, right. um, I sort of wandered around the training ground, looking like a sort of school school kid with his clipboard, making see. little notes about what was going on. It's he is it, it, it's unfathomable how much he's changed that club, not just in terms of league position, but the whole picture. You know, they have. It's an unthinkable for a club like Bournemouth to have a team of six to eight video analysts watching, just watching. Callum Wilson's missed chances to see if they can get him to score three more goals than he might do for the rest of the season. Mm. Things like that. They've got like stats written on the wall about the number of regains in the final third record in a game this season. Like, it is, it's sort of beautiful mind stuff, it feels like. Um, the obsession with the game. He got a little bit tetchy when I asked if he was a workaholic, but he would call it, he said... Oh no, I'm not a workaholic. I'm just a football addict, and I sort of thought, yeah, that's just just as bad, really. But yeah, he is a complete obsessive. Makes okay. you wonder with Eddie Howe. Um, I don't know the answer to this. It's more of a question that I'm posing, really. But how how, how well married he is to Bournemouth, and whether this type of thing is is you can replicate that at a new place at a new club because you're starting from a totally different place, aren't you, than you did at Bournemouth? His answer, uh, and very firm answer, is I, I do have ambition and people that say I don't are wrong. It's just that Bournemouth match my ambitions and I believe I can keep them. I can get them in the top six, which is brilliant, really. I do think that Tottenham is a pretty natural fit if Pochettino goes, hmm. um, in terms of a club that has a lot of patience in managers. But no, he is insistent that he will stay. He's currently in eighth place with uh, Bournemouth, a whopping oh, two points off the top six. Mm. So that's very doable, isn't it? Yep. OK. Uh, Man United, time to talk about them. They've got Champions League, you know. They're off. Uh, no, they're going to be at home to young boys, aren't they? They warmed up for that match by treating the Old Trafford faithful to a thrilling nil-nil with Crystal Palace. Well done, Palace. They look good, didn't they? They should have won this, no? Yeah. Um, 13 Chances. shots yeah. Crystal Palace had. I don't think many of them were on target. Was it two on target? Uh, but for Manchester United, a first clean sheet at home this season. That's what we take from so, this, is it? Yeah, no yeah. problem. I can, so, I can sum it up for United in not even a word, a noise. 
Well, really? Because it, it feels oh. like after the stirring comeback away at uh, Juventus, which was supposedly going to kickstart things and usher in a new mood of harmony Completely. between Mourinho and his players, instead he, he's come out with various statements about lack of character and then shaved his head and it's, it's back onto kind of full DEFCON 1. Well, Daniel and I were discussing this before we came in. I think last week he was a bit unlucky with the way that the quotes came about because it was an old interview. Aristotle so Stoichkoff right. had done the interview and he'd been around Manchester... Um, about a month ago, I think it was. Um, so that's when the interview took place, and also, obviously, there was that there was that mistranslation thing that that happened as well. But there's but nothing then, particularly unusual about these quotes. They're things that we've heard him say about. Well, I was going to say, but then any any sort of uh, any sort of problem Mourinho had in the way in which they were dealt with, mm. he sort of undoes it after the game, which is exactly what Daniel said by saying, you know, questioning heart, intensity, desire yeah. of his players. So uh, it just doesn't. But then it for would me, be ha- just, hard for him to say anything else after that performance. I know, but it's just not working, is it, saying those things? It doesn't seem to be getting any reaction from his team. You talked before about you know the positivity around the Juventus result. Chelsea away was good as well. There was mm. an Everton win in the middle. The comeback against Newcastle. But they've won four of the last 12. And that was in the middle of that, that, that sort of sort of mini-revival, renaissance, whatever you want to call it. It was in the middle of all that. And I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't know whether it's the manager. I don't know whether it's the players. But the one thing that's sure... United are not where they need to be. It's the worst start for 28 years. I don't think you can look any further beyond anything than that, really. It's just not good enough. I do think the idea of accusing players of lacking heart is not unusual, and it's been done with good effect before. But that that style of management only works if you're using that strategy um, to create a, a siege mentality of it's us against them, and it's we have to be better, we have to fight. Mourinho isn't doing that. He's doing it as a method of self-preservation, which therefore becomes a completely nonsensical tactic because key players look at that... Throwing his players under the bus. Yeah, of course, exactly. It's it's not a question of people accusing Manchester United players of of downing tools. It's not that simple. It's about the the finest of margins. It's about that 5% of wanting to run through a wall for a manager, which if you feel that he's throwing you under the bus purely to salvage his own reputation, you aren't going to do that. And it's laughable at the moment. It really is. There is... They're lucky they're playing young boys this week because they can't be adults at the moment. <laughs> it's it's a comparison that gets made all the time between Mourinho and Pochettino. But you look at the week that Deli Ali had last week, got himself in a bit of bother off the pitch. What happens? Pochettino, uh, however he treated him, it happened privately. Uh, he scores a goal against Chelsea and has a brilliant game. Uh, Rashford, Martial, they haven't got any heart. The contrast is so stark in Mourinho looking like yesterday's man compared to the likes of Pochettino and Guardiola and Klopp. Not in terms of the way his teams play on the pitch even, but in the way that he treats his players. It's, it doesn't really matter doesn't about... work anymore. I, I totally understand what you're saying. It doesn't really matter about comparisons. United are seventh. You know, that's the only comparison they need to make is where they are in the league compared to the other teams and where their ambitions lie in this league. And it's certainly not in seventh place, so... You know, it's the same type. That's why I made that noise before. It's the same type of thing. It's the same type of argument. It's the same type of questions. And, you know, exactly that. that, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Exactly that. Uh, All right. Well, uh, we'll we'll, we'll get some more noises after this in the final part of this Totally Football show regarding, yeah, just some other stuff from the Champions League and bits. Stay tuned, listener. Hey, listener. MLS, first leg of conference finals took place this weekend. Did you know? I did know. Atlanta United versus New York. Yeah, they beat uh, NY Red Bulls, the Red Bulls lot, 3-0. 
controversy over Bradley Wright Phillips's disallowed equaliser in that game. No goals between Portland and Sporting Kansas City in the other conference final. Second legs of those games will be played on Friday, Matt. Interesting. It certainly I bet Kobe is. Jones and the gang will be rounding them up, won't they? Kobe Jones and the gang will be rounding them up in the totally football show American edition. And while we're talking about podcasts available from your friends at Muddy Knees Media, it'd be remiss of me not to give a plug for the Parts Unknown Wrestling podcast. Uh, this week's episode, WrestleMania 6, this Wednesday. And on Friday night, I watched WrestleMania 3 in preparation for our next session. You'll remember that, of course, the famous Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, body slam in front of 93,000 at the Pontiac Silverdome. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I always have a, a place in my heart for Andre the Giant because of his wonderful stint in The Princess Bride. Mm. And uh, the, 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 the legendary writer of which William Goldman uh, passed away, of course, sadly, last, last week. What a film. If you haven't seen The Princess Bride, rectify that, listener, post-haste. Features heavily in the HBO documentary on uh, Andre that came out oh, does last it? year. Yeah, with uh, is it Rob, Robin Wright from House of Cards is in it yeah, as well? Yeah, she, she talks she, very fondly of him. Yeah, Kerry Yules and uh, Inigo in Montoya, uh, aka Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, my name is Vintage. It's just the greatest script ever, and a charming, utterly charming film. Uh, what, have you seen it, Ian? I've no Watch the Princess Bride. About, no. it's, okay. it's it's a film. It's quite a low budget film. It's a, like a very gentle satire on on kind of fairy tales and the kind of romantic fantasies that was done by William Goldman as as the kind of the guy who'd kind of decodified Hollywood script writing, and then he he put it together with a lot of affection and a really good cast and some great uh, yeah. yeah 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 magnificent yeah yeah next Sunday sorted. There you go. Uh, Champions League is happening Tuesday and Wednesday. That's what you're going to be all about. We've talked yeah. about the Premier League clubs. There's all sorts of other teams playing each other, some home, some away, Ian. <laughs> oh, really? One to keep an eye on. What are they playing for, James? They're playing to get into that last 16. Or the Europa League? Well, yeah, no, in some cases, that's true. Roma and Real Madrid, though, are level on points in their group, and that's going to be a very interesting match. They both lost this weekend. Roma at Udinese... But in the Champions League, at home, they've got an absolutely amazing record. They've won their last seven there, only conceding two goals in that run in the Champions League. And this includes matches like Barcelona coming to town. You remember how that went. Mm. Now, what's going to happen when Real Madrid turn up this week? I don't know, because of course, Real did stuff them 3-0. And that scoreline was you know narrow from Real's point of view uh, when they met on match day one. However, Real themselves are coming in off a defeat. They lost for the first time in their history to Ibar. Mm, and not just Eibar. lost, I mean, well-beaten as well, weren't yeah. they? So, yeah. Did you see this, Matt? I saw the score now, and I saw uh, a lot of the Chelsea accounts that I follow on Twitter uh, having a bit of fun at Thibaut Courtois' expense. Um, but, yeah, I was just thinking, it, Champions League-wise, it's actually looking quite good for Italian clubs this year, isn't it? I'm doing Juventus-Valencia oh, yeah. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they're more than likely to go through, as you yeah. say, Inter in pole position in their group too. Although I worry about Inter. Really? Yeah. I think no. I think they've got they... a safety net now and in that even if they lose by two goals to Spurs, they oh, Spurs then need to match their result on the on the last match day and they're home well, to PSV. Well, that's true. And Spurs are away at Barca. So I think right, they will be okay. That's interesting. Yeah, but I mean, the, the thing about Inter is although the results are good, all of them have come mm. with late goals. Yeah. They've, all, they've had a, an element of good fortune to them, to them all. That point against Barca was massive yeah. in match day four, yeah. Um, but anyway, so there you go. Yeah, Roma, Real Madrid should be interesting because Real coming off that, the first defeat that they've had under Santiago Solari and now lying sixth in the Liga 
which is currently uh, led by Matt. Sevilla. Sevilla. Yeah, Sevilla <laughs> on top after Barcelona dropped points against Atletico Madrid. I mean, I say drop points, they actually mm. earned a point because it hadn't been for Usman Dembele. They, they would have been. Yeah, it was a night of pure Diego Costa, which we have missed. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, he, he elbowed, he sort of quasi headbutted, he scored his first goal in a long, long time. Since February. Yeah. 18 games is it I think um, and yeah and then Usman Dembele who has received an awful lot of stick of late because um, he stays up late and plays video games yeah because he's not the model footballer and he's not the model Barcelona footballer he's not the Masia model um, but there are different ways to get things done and I think he's earned 7 points with his goals this season so maybe leave off from him a little bit mm. Excellent. All right. And well, I'd like to go Madrid anyway, are going to be taking on on Wednesday in the early game, which you can see there'll be our, our kind of show open on Wednesday from 5.30 on BT Sport with the Gold Show. You can see Atletico Madrid taking on Monaco, who, Ian, this week got their first win under Thierry Henry. Va, va, vu. Indeed. They beat Caen, who were also down the wrong end of the table. They're not, not quite as wrong as where Monaco are. Monaco remain 19th ahead of uh, Gangon on uh, goal difference. So anyway, but yeah, they beat them 1-0 with a goal from uh, that man Falcao. That's nice. There are lots of other things we could tell you, like Bayern having their 3-3 with Dusseldorf and all the problems that'll cause Niko Kovac, but that'll have to wait for next time Raphael Honigstein's in. Uh, Right now, let's get some odds on things with producer Ben and Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. And shalom to Lee Price from Paddy Power, who is on the line and going to talk odds with me. Lee, let's start with Man City. They're not doing too badly this season, and I have a feeling that they're going to better their points tally of last season. What do your people say about that? Yeah, shalom to yourself. Um, It's actually refreshing to be able to quote a price on Man City that isn't odds on. That's how good they've been this season. They're still a very short price, given the scale of the task, to break their points tally. It's just 6-4. to They get 101 or more points, which is crazy, but... Given that they're probably the best team in the Premier League era, that does look a good price. And for the same reason, the price of 2-9 to nine for them to win the title, while still odds on, looks an absolute steal. I can't see past them. Well, let's look uh, a little bit further down the table. Not too much further. We're talking about Arsenal. Can they break the top three this season? Interesting. There's been a lot of talk about Arsenal's great start to the season, but they still are just behind the top clubs. Uh, it's 5-1 to one they finish in the top three. A lot shorter, 5-4 to four they finish in the top four, but... Sorry, Arsenal fans. Still odds on 8-13. to They finish outside the Champions League spots. No idea what that would mean for Emery, though. Jose Mourinho was debuting his new shaved hairstyle, so it's happened, finally. Uh, Man U, they're not doing well at all. Are they going to finish outside the top six, though? Uh, yeah, despite all the evidence of the contrary, we actually think they won't. We think they'll finish in the top six. It's 1-4 to four that they do. Although, that said, the price for them not to is shortening all the time, currently at 13-5. to five. They really should be finishing at least sixth in this league, though. Champions League definitely gone. It's 1-7 to seven now. They don't qualify for the Premier League. All right, and let's round off with Liverpool, who I saw beat Watford 3-0 at Vicarage Road. Uh, they head to the Parc de France on Wednesday. Slightly tougher fixture. Can they beat PSG? Well, Neymar is still recovering from the injury picked up in Milton Keynes, which is the best contribution my hometown has ever made to English football. And the Bappe isn't meant to be 100% either. So Liverpool have got a shot, but we still do fancy the Prisians. They're 11-10. to 10. Liverpool 21-10, to 10, and the draw is 11-4. And we do have a money-back special on this. Money-back is a free bet if PSG win. Selected markets only. Pre-match singles only. Max free pair £10. TNCs apply. 
You can find out these odds and more at paddypair.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Matt, what what game are you, what game are you commentating on this week? Uh, Juventus versus Valencia tomorrow for our friends in Canada, and then Chelsea versus Pauk on Thursday. So you work for Canada. Where else do you work? Nigeria. Um, I haven't done Nigeria this season. Japan. But you used to do Nigeria. Didn't used you? to do Nigeria. Do you do yeah. Japanese TV? Uh, I think it goes out in Japan as oh, well. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, anywhere basically, anywhere that will have me, James. Right. For my very modest fee. I mean, you can. Were you on BBC One on? I was on Sunday BBC night. One last night. Yeah, rounding up the the women's Super League action from oh, this okay. round of fixtures. Arsenal just blowing everybody away. They uh, six points clear of City. They play City next week, so <sighs> City need to win that basically. So Arsenal play City which day? Sunday. And um, what's that going to be on? Uh, that will be on the BBC Red Button, I would imagine. Okay. Mm. Wow. But yeah, you can, uh, after Match of the Day too. The, the WSL show, the women's football show as it's called, right. is on every week. And then it's on iPlayer from now. So yeah, And, and Arsenal have Danielle van der Dunk. Yeah, they do. She's great. And Vivian Miedemari, who got her 14th goal of the season on mm-hmm. Sunday. She only needs one more to equal the record total for anyone ever in a season in the WSL. And it's not even Christmas, so she's doing quite well. Right, when you say ever, how many seasons has the WSL been here? Oh, maybe 10. Okay, yeah, that's a bit of time. Impressive, mm-hmm. yeah. Good one. Nice. Excellent. I look forward to you popping up uh, unexpectedly from some random corner of the globe uh, soon. And uh, same to you, Daniel Story. Yeah, I'm at uh, Spurs Inter on Wednesday and then Uh Merseyside Derby Sunday. Oh, that's nice. Mm. That's nice. And back here perhaps next Monday? Yes, I think I am. Okay. Well, that'll be happy. Uh, And Ian, what have you got planned? Uh, United Young Boys tomorrow. Uh, I've got fan zone later, James, your friend of mine. Excellent. The treadmill is well and truly going, isn't it? It certainly is. Oh, it's ramping up, if anything. Uh, Listen, I hope you have a super time until we catch up with you. We're back, if you you like, on Thursday. Before that, as we mentioned, there is the Totally Scottish Football Show. There's the Totally Football League Show. And, of course, Golazzo which will be returning uh, on Wednesday in the company of James Horncastle and Gabriele Marcotti. Uh, Have yourselves a great time, whatever it is you're up to, and see you on Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts, and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.